Peter Christensen created the installation F40-298 Generalized Opus Foramina in 2021 for the Jack Straw New Media Gallery. I sat down with Peter in the Jack Straw Studios to talk about this installation and the intersection of art, psychotherapy, and ecology. There are three projections and an installation, sort of a physical installation in the middle of soil and kind of moss with a big PVC pipe sort of sticking out of it. And essentially what I did for this project was dig holes across the state of Washington into the earth and then kind of put this PVC pipe into the hole and drop a camera into the PVC pipe and the camera is facing up, and essentially the projections that you see on the wall is just the footage from these various holes looking up into the sky, kind of celestial uh, aesthetic, I suppose. And the audio is a bit abrasive. sounds like you're in a tunnel, and I think that's because of the piping and how it kind of created this echo-resonating kind of soundscape. There's a blue glow I think that's happening in part because of the sky and the three projections. And then the installation is spotlit from the top, and there's two additional lights that have kind of an amber glow on each side that create kind of almost like it's been explained to me that it feels almost like a Martian landscape. Uh, it kind of has this orange-red sort of glow to it, uh, although I don't, I don't think that was fully intentional at the time to create this dynamic. Can you also talk a little bit about the book that's also in the space? The title of the piece, it refers to a diagnostic code in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is a a psychiatric book that psychotherapists use to diagnose clients with uh, kind of based on a criteria and symptomology. And the book in the space is actually a very early iteration of a DSM. It's called the Encyclopedia of Aberrations, but it's kind of an attempt to map out these cognitive and psychological issues, for lack of a better word, that we're all kind of processing and dealing with. And there's some really dated, antiquated ways of thinking about the brain and human behavior and human interaction. And I think this work is institutional critique-based work as well. So it's, it's looking at the institution of art making. It's also looking at the institution of psychiatry and psychology and asking some questions about, you know, how this field is progressing, um, how it marginalizes, how it compartmentalizes. And I think art has been very exclusionary and, um, and has marginalized certain groups clearly, historically and psychiatric sort of care and mental health-related stuff as well. And I think it needs to be continuously evolving and also rethought and challenged. And so I I see the work kind of under that lens as well, kind of our relationship with the earth and how we need to think about this, but also about these institutions that need to kind of progress as well.
Can you talk to us a bit about what spurred this piece into being for you? I know you have um, a really layered background as both as an artist um, and as a as described here, a once licensed psychotherapist. <laughs> so I assume that these things are part of it and they're also the environmental factor that's going into the piece as well. With that background, I've really never been able to disentangle my psychotherapy and um, what I've learned from my clients and just the industry and the field and, you know, self-therapy and self-diagnosing and looking at my relationship with my community. And so maybe about a decade or even longer ago, I just decided to kind of ensure that they were fused together. And I've kind of come up with this umbrella term, psycholagardist or psycholagardistry, which I think is funny. You know, so there's always like a, an embedded irony and humor in the work as well. But I've used this, this kind of tool, this DSM, this instrument to, to diagnose kind of community to diagnose our relationship with the world, in this case, very specific targeting our relationship to nature and uh, the natural world. For the past 10 years or so, I've just been kind of using specific diagnostic codes to kind of represent certain projects. And this is one of those under that umbrella, psychologardist. The diagnosis F40-290 is a real diagnosis that speaks to a specific phobia. The generalized opus foramina is kind of a made-up collection of words to specifically talk about this project in relationship to a phobia. So the way I've kind of changed the language on the DSM criteria for this project is by saying there's a phobia that exists outside of these holes that I've dug. So anything that exists outside of the hole engenders some sort of phobic response. There's a fear and an anxiety about anything outside of this small little environment. And initially I thought, oh, I'm diagnosing the earth. You know, I'm listening to the earth and the earth is telling me that it is afraid of everything outside of underneath the surface or in these holes. I think as I process this, I think this is a self-diagnosis, and I also think this is a diagnosis of our community, especially in light of the pandemic, how there's a real fear and anxiety about congregating, about being social, about listening to each other. feels very divisive, and uh, we feel very separate, uh, some of this because of quarantine and social distancing, but also, I think, because of the political landscape. So I think it's a broad sort of diagnosis and it's a challenge for us to think about how to how to resolve our relationship with the planet and then each other as well. I think that's the hope. It's so interesting to hear you talk about this as being this phobia, right? A fear of anything that's outside the whole. My totally subjective reaction to it is that actually being in the space is incredibly regulating and soothing. Hmm. I'm wondering, you know, you, you talk about how a work evolves after you've sort of put it in a space, a work evolves after people are coming into it. The viewer is getting both sort of the inside the earth perspective as well as an external perspective because we see this bit of earth and we see the tube coming out of earth. Can you talk about that tension of both the security of staying within the whole and also being outside of it? For me, that's 
part of a relationship I had as a therapist with my client, that exchange. It's, it is a, for lack of a better word, a, a safe environment, even though there's a lot of challenging, sometimes confrontational discussions that happen in those environments. And I, I've seen that as a therapist and, and participated in that, this, these ideas of transference and countertransference and projection. And I've seen it as a, as a client myself with my therapist, um, this kind of relationship. It's both soothing and challenging, I think, simultaneously. It's really interesting that you say this feels maybe soothing or meditative. I had expected this to feel very claustrophobic and enclosed. I have some, you know, psychological sort of response to closed spaces, enclosed spaces and tight spaces. So for me, even when Joel and I were kind of working on setting up the space, there was a desire to make these projections really large, to open it up, to fill the space. And I think for a variety of reasons, part tech, part just kind of playing around with with the projections and the lighting, we decided on this sort of scale. And I think it works really well because it allows for that, um, it's right kind of at the cusp or it's walking that line between comfort and discomfort. And I, I really think that works well. Or I'd be really interested in kind of seeing how different folks across a continuum feel in that space and respond to this space. And that's, again, part of really cool therapy and that's part of really cool art making, I think, really successful stuff is when you can speak to a diverse audience and listen to a diverse audience, and which is a really important part of this work is like listening. And uh, that's one of the many lessons I've learned from Jack Straw and the work in the space is that the focus on sound also mandates that there's a focus on listening. You don't want to go into that space and just kind of talk. Um, you really want to listen. And I think that's a lesson, again, for all of us in our relationships uh, to each other and to the planet is to spend more time listening to what folks in the planet are telling us. a little bit about how this piece was shaped um, by your experience here at Jack Straw? Uh, hugely for me. I mean, I, th I consider myself a, a site-specific artist, right? So site is very important. Place is very important to me. And, and the culture that's kind of imbued and embedded in place and the people and the community really helps to cultivate the work itself, not only the actual formation of the work, but like I've talked about, sort of how it develops and the trajectory as it continues and the discussions that happen after it's actually installed. But Jack Straw has been and has a rich history of supporting the community, of listening, of working with a diverse continuum and group of folks and trying to bring all different types of people into the discussion. And I will say very specifically the engineers and the folks who helped me install the work, that discussion was absolutely pivotal to developing uh, a successful installation 
one other point I think is really important here is the service. I think there's a huge service element that Jack Straw, um, service to its community. Uh, it's an amazing space. The people here are very positive, optimistic, very willing to see a vision through, to take risks with artists. And that isn't always the case. Um, and, you know, I should really ensure that I give a shout out to Joel because he has been unbelievably helpful with the tech and and just kind of bouncing ideas back and forth to, you know, kind of help me sort of get a sense of what's going on. But it's been all service-based, you know, to me, taking no uh, – his name's not listed outside of the show. And, you know, he's really a pivotal, integral part of the installation and the work. And uh, that's really meaningful to me to have that kind of support. I know that the holes that you dug for this piece, that we get both some of the visual and some of the sound from, that you chose places around Washington. Can Since you are a site-specific artist, can you talk about how you chose those sites? I spent a lot of time since I moved here in 2012 kind of traversing the state, going back and forth. I work in eastern Washington, and I have a studio in Seattle. I have a partner who grew up in Spokane. I'm starting to connect to people who live all across the state for a variety of reasons. I think this is a diverse state. I think it's beautiful. Uh, There's a lot to offer. And when I first moved here, it seemed there was like very clearly a divide between the West and the East. And I got that on both fronts. I got, you know, ah, why would you go, you know, West of the Cascades and why would you go East, which is, you know, just, I found interesting but I get it. But part of what I've really worked towards is kind of uh, in my practice is to think about how um, how we can kind of bridge that schism or that gap. That's really important to me. So I think if I, for example, just dug holes in the western part of the state, I'd be making a clear sort of statement that, you know, I'm a west sider or whatever that means. <laughs> and I really want a diverse sort of case study here. The other part is my brother's a a stats guy, and he always talks about generalizability. And to have an accurate study, you want a diverse sort of group that you're asking questions of. And I think it would apply similarly to a geographic or topographic sort of study of the state. You know, you wouldn't want to just do one area. So I... I dug holes all different places and um, got a lot of fun reactions, and it cultivated a bunch of different weird discussions. I would say close to 100, and you know, I don't really know. I have pretty big archive of holes dug and video. So I picked one from Tri-Cities, Washington, which is one of the campuses I work on uh, for Washington State and spend a lot of time over there and, and work with a lot of folks there and a lot of artists, met some really awesome people there. I, I chose one from Loon Lake, outside of Spokane, outside the urban environment, obviously. And then I did one in King County as well. I didn't cover the entire state with that, but I, I think all different geographic points, all very different sort of demographics in these areas, 
political, religious, socioeconomic status, like all kind of different diverse demographics. And I thought that might be important if the earth was going to tell me different things about folks that were, you know, kind of occupying those spaces. Because you have this, now this catalog of video and audio from these hundred or so holes that you dug, do you imagine a life beyond our gallery here at Jack Straw for this installation? Are there possibilities for, you know, large space with 50 of those? I think I think that could be really lovely. I mean, some of these are short clips. Some of these are, you know, 15, 20 minutes long, um, some longer even. Um, and some are just kind of, you know, I, I dug a hole, put it in for a little bit, got some weird looks and then pulled it. I'd have to kind of look more at the archive, spend some time with that. But I would love to see an installation that included a larger sort of presentation of this case study. I don't know what that would sound like. And I would love the idea of like a large chorus or orchestra, you know, like changing it from like a three-piece band to this like really, really large ensemble, I think could be really profound and beautiful. When you have created a piece, especially one like Generalized Opus for Amina, and it goes, you know, it's installed in a space, does that then launch you into a next piece? And if so, has this piece sort of launched you to the starting point of another one, or has it started to influence other things that you've been working on? It has, hugely. Um, but I, my practice is kind of unusual. I think some folks say they have a painting and they work on that painting, uh, you know, daily, some folks in the studio. And then when they're done with that painting, they move on to the next painting. My practice is really kind of like floodgates seem to open. I'm an interdisciplinary kind of conceptualist guy. So I think my ideas all sort of uh, – there's like a confluence of ideas that happens. And so I just try to do those all simultaneously, which makes for an odd um, sort of collection of works. But some just get started. Some need to be nourished more. And I think that's what happened with this. I, I found myself taking a lot of photographs, uh, still photography through these tubes, and and it generates some really, really, I think, uh, lovely aesthetics, almost like a pinhole camera, and found those really interesting. And the silence of those, I think, juxtaposed to the audio and could be really nice. And a, a lot of focus on our relationship with the planet. I mean, I think this is the existential threat. This is something that we all need to be talking more about, not just talking, but really thinking about how we're going to turn this around uh, and if that's even possible. And so as an artist, we have a platform. And I think we have a responsibility, therefore, to kind of use this platform in a way that benefits humans and the planet and other species. It's kind of given a charge. It's lit you know, a fire under me. It serves as a catalyst to kind of do more work that is related to meaningful change, I think. Peter Christensen's installation, F40-298, Generalized Opus for Amina, was created through the Jack Straw New Media Gallery Residency Program. Podcast interviewer is Alyssa Keene. 
Produced by Levi Fuller and Joel Maddox. Engineer is Joel Maddox. Jack Straw Executive Director is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Artist Residency Programs are made possible with support from the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax, Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts, Rainier Institute and Foundation, Arts Fund, Humanities Washington, and individual contributors. To learn more about our arts programs and hear more podcasts, visit us at jackstraw.org.